so we can affect our children with inequities or righteousness. Everybody in here. Right? We will talk about praying against generational stuff. Um, because we pray that with the guys. The last thing we do after a guy cleans up his life, goes through every area of his life that the scripture says can give Satan an advantage. After he goes through his whole life, then we, as we begin to pray, we pray against the iniquities and the generational stuff that's passed on to him. There's more than just the iniquities that can pass on generationally, but they're one. But guys, I think it'd be really good right now. And don't do it because I'm telling you to do it. And don't ever do anything that Bill Gothard or I or anybody else tells you to do. Do it because God is telling you to do it. I mean, I'm just saying it would be a good thing to do, guys. And and oops, I keep losing this thing. My my uh, my uh, self-image isn't going up or down, or my joy is not going to go up and down if all of you say I'm not going to do it. But I'm saying that's fine. That's between you and God. Um, but I'd like you to pray right now. And I would just say, God, I don't want iniquities to go on to my family and generation. Lord, I just pray right now you cancel that. And I want to be a righteous man. I want to do what is required. Righteousness is what? Doing right or doing what's required. I want to do what's required. I want to be a righteous man. And I want my righteousness to affect future generations. Because remember, one of the signs of a godly man is as his great-grandchildren walking with God. Not just his children, and not just his grandchildren, but his great-grandchildren and his great-great-grandchildren. Um, a number of years ago, uh, Bill did his first seminar in uh, up in um, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, and they had 16,000 for the first time and a friend of mine this was years ago a friend of mine was working for bill at that time and they were going over the registrations and i said bill do you know that hudson taylor's grandson is in the audience and he said no and so he looked through the um, uh, curtains before he spoke and looked out and he said see that guy over there i think he's hudson taylor's grandson check it check at the break so at the break this friend of mine went over there and was talking and asked him how he liked the seminar and so on and he he said, by the way, you have some Taylor's grandson. And he said, yes. I said, what do you think? He said, so this is the kind of stuff my, my father would have, my grandfather would have taught. And so he went back to Bill and he said, Bill, I'm, before I tell you, I want to know, have you ever seen a picture of Hudson Taylor's grandson? He said, no. Have you ever met Hudson Taylor's grandson? He said, no. He said, how did you pick him out of 16,000 people? It was easy. The glow of God was on his face. Wouldn't you like to have the glow of God on your grandkids? It doesn't just have to be Hudson Taylor. God's not a respecter of what? Persons. He just wants us to walk with him and do what's right. So why don't you just take some time right now, just quietly before the Lord, and uh, ask God to cancel the self-willedness, the iniquities that's been in your life. That it would just remove it off your kids and cut that off, and that your righteousness would affect children's children, just like he says here. I think it would be a good thing to do. That you hear us. And if you hear us, you know that we have petitions. 
that we desire of you. Thank you for hearing our prayers and thank you for answering. That you may be glorified in all of our generations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God was good to me. I have some, as I said, we, we started collecting biographies a long time ago, and I stopped counting. We have over a 1,000 in our house, and I stopped counting, so I don't know how many we have now. Uh, a lot of them right now are not worth much. You know, I was a football player for Jesus and stuff. But, you know, I, those are okay, but they didn't change the world or whatever. But a new one out that's really neat is called Mission Impossible. I really liked it because the missionary was going to quit three or four times. So it's more real. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm through with these cannibals. In fact, I just had some missionaries with cannibals that came to see me, and the only thing they ate was the right arm. They cut off the right forearm and ate it because that's where the power was. So if you really wanted to power your enemy, just whack the arm off and have some choice pieces, and they cook it and pass out choice pieces. But this gal, this is a gal with uh, it's, it's a Wycliffe Bible translator, and it's just really funny stuff in the book. I don't want to tell you the whole book. I loved it. Because it's so real. I, mean, I hate reading a book where everything was wonderful. You know, it just it doesn't happen that way in Logan's life. You know, I just, there's some ups and downs and darkness and discouragements and so on. Well, this gal's out there with these cannibals, and all that the men wear is a piece of twine around the middle knotted at the navel. I mean, just kind of a, a vine right there. That's it. That's all they have. So as she was learning the language of these natives, she finally, uh, these cannibals, you know, out there where, 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 what's his name was, you know, uh, Snake Story, Otto, you know, same, you know, out in the, that same area of the world where Otto was, except she wasn't down in the lowlands. And so when she could talk, she uh, asked the fellow, why do you wear that vine around your middle? And he was horrified. He said, do you think we would go naked? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Never thought of that. So they saw the value of clothes because they kept mosquitoes off of you. And so she kept out a really nice pair of white shorts with a green belt and gave it to her informant, you know, the guy that would point out the words and helped her to translate. And the next day he came wearing the green belt. <laughs> Didn't quite work. <clears throat> but anyway, after many, many years, God just, of the toil, and you see her struggles, there were words that they just had no words for, that they couldn't come up with words to explain it at all. In fact, this missionary I'm working with now, and I'm going to be kind of connected with him, is they don't have words for curses. And yet the people live in fear of being cursed. And when they try to translate that, there's no word. They, they, because they don't curse, what they do is they send bad powers to you. But anyway, it's a strange thing. But so I'm trying to help them with the demonic aspect and how to prepare these people to deal with it. because. They won't talk about demons. And when Jesus cast the demons out of the boy, I mean, they have demon-possessed people there. And Jesus cast the demon out of the boy, when they did that math in Mark or whatever it was and translated, they were so excited. I thought, boy, what is that? You know, what are these people going to say? And they read it like, oh. They're going, well, how come they're not excited? Well, it was Jesus, I guess. They don't know. They thought, oh, no breakthrough. I mean, here Jesus casting demons out of people. In fact, a third of his public ministry, Jesus cast demons out of people. And yet it had no effect on them at all. So they, they're, they're stymied. They live in fear of these spirits, and yet they can't seem to, and they've been there 10 years. 
But anyway, this gal, after many, many years out there, decides to, she brings them to America. And they spoke at Billy Graham rallies and things like that. One of the guys' name is Jonah. And, uh, and he, they, they had the feathers, you know, they, they had clothes, but they wore some of the stuff that looked real fierce when they spoke at churches and stuff and thanked them for sending these missionaries out. They know Jesus. So this guy got up for the Billy Graham meeting and he said, you've heard of Jonah in the whale. Well, I'm Jonah from the jungle and everybody come out in a big rally clapper. Well, after being in America a year, these young, they were young men when she went out there. Now they're older men, but they were just young boys that she brought to Christ. When they went back, she asked them what they thought about America. In fact, one, I believe one stays and gets a doctorate. One of these cannibals stays and gets a doctorate somewhere, but the rest of them went back. And they said there were two things about America they hoped would never, ever come to the jungle. One is this. They said, we can't understand that in every home we were in, Christians had a house full of things that did nothing. Right? You got any of this stuff at your house? You don't want to come to my counseling office because it's got eagle statues all over. People are giving me gifts of eagles. It's like an eagle collection. Eagles on the wall, eagles everywhere. And they don't, in fact, this is a tie. The guy isn't here. He, I thought he was going to come, but the guy gave me this tie, named his little boy after me. His family picked this up because they know I have eagles. And I, uh, so I thought I'd better wear it in case he came. He's a Dallas guy, but. He wasn't. He's not here tonight. So, uh, so that was one thing. And I look. And when I heard that, I looked around the house. I look at all the stuff we got. Doesn't do anything. And it all costs what? Costs money, and it doesn't do a thing. And he said, "I hope it never comes to the jungle." It's not a reproof from a cannibal. The second thing is, he said, "All Americans are into idolatry, and we hope their idol, their idol, never comes to the jungle." And I mean, she didn't have no idea. I mean, they were they were absolutely, totally convinced. And they said, "What idol?" They said, "They wear it right there." You know, if their meetings are blessed to God, they go on. You know, they don't stop at twelve. You know, two minutes over twelve. The, the preachers, the preachers act uh, waxing eloquent. The congregation is burning. <laughs> When's he going to shut up this thing down? So we can go home or go to the restaurant. We're going to have to stand in line now. Please, God. <laughs> Praise God. I'm so glad in church today. Oh, God bless. <laughs> oh, sick stuff, right? Okay. Now, look at First Peter chapter 2. Verse 5 and verse 9 of chapter 2. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And what are we? What's he say we are? Lively stones, but what else? A priesthood. That we, we would operate as priests. And look at verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. And there it is again. We're a royal priesthood. Okay. Now, I want to go to 1 Samuel 2.35. This is um, in thinking about as fathers, as priests. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. When I read that, I broke that down by phrases. Why don't you break that down by phrases on your paper? It's pretty awesome when you look at this. God will raise up, number one, what? What's he going to raise up? Faithful what? Faithful priests. What does that mean? It means to stand firm. You look it up, you look up the Hebrew word. To stand firm. It's uh, in the theological workbook of the Old Testament. Um, it's a good one for the Hebrew words. The basic root word means firmness, dependable. The word faithful can be translated to the English word, a strange word, amen. So be it. It's done. It's good as done. The second one, what is the faithful priest that God has to raise up? What's, what, 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 what's his responsibility? To do all that's what? In God's heart. That's the next phrase you want to put down. So what is one of the most important things we can do as a priest in our family? Display God's heart before our family. That's not easy. The third thing, and in my mind, We need to seek and share the mind of God with our family. You guys want to be married? Get married? It's going to take more than hair on your chin. Right, guys? Isn't it? There's a real responsibility here. Are you, are you willing to take on that kind of responsibility that God wants you to do? If you don't, you're going to have real havoc within your family and children. And God said, I will build him a sure house. That's a house that will what? Stand. Go to Matthew 7. This is just kind of a... Um, parallel passage here. Matthew 7, starting uh, 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. 
But whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Thank you. A dear friend of mine that owns a lot of radio stations uh, spoke at our college one time, and he spoke on this passage, and he said, why, number one, a builder will build your house anywhere. Right? In fact, if if you come to Sioux City, what's interesting, we're, we're two freeways, two stops in the freeway below South Dakota, and you just drive across the river here in, uh, North, uh, in um, Nebraska, so you can hit three states because we're right there. Um, in fact, we just up the freeway from us is uh, Gateway. Uh, uh, Ted Way to the founder of Gateway, he and his brother were high school kids at Sioux City that started that thing. Um, between there and here, as you go up, you go through Dakota Dunes. And Dakota Dunes is where the wealthy homes are. And those homes are built on where the Missouri River used to flow, on sand. And we're talking about huge, gorgeous, beautiful homes. Hundreds of thousands of dollar homes. Um, Arnold Palmer set the golf course there that goes with it, you know, and unbelievable. And they, and we had a flood and the river almost went back to its old going. And they thought they were going to lose all these houses. So a builder will build a house Wherever, quicksand, he'd care. But why would a builder build his own house on the sand? Right? And I'll build you a house same place, but when I build my house, you know why? And some of you guys have built your family on sand? Because you thought it was rocks. But when the storms came, it proved to be what? Sand. See, the storms reveal, don't they? When a family goes through, your, fa your family's going to go through hard times, aren't they? Has your family gone through any hard times? It can be financial times, it can be sickness. We've gone through, with my wife, we were really concerned for my wife. My son came home from Houston, they brought his little baby up for us to see. She had some kind of sickness, my wife got it, my wife was sick for two months. And in the hospital, when they could not find out, it was affecting her heart, it was not good. Could not get rid of the infections in her body. So it was a very hard time for us. Because it was two months not knowing. They just about ready to throw out their hands. It just didn't make sense. It, nothing would knock the infection that she picked up from the little baby. So <clears throat> we go through those times, don't we? And that will reveal, are we on rock or sand? Because we're on rock, we'll make it, won't we? We'll make it through, not just by gritting the bedpost, but we'll make it through in victory. Now, going back to the Samuel passage, and it says, He shall walk before my anointed forever. 
That's generational. Isn't that beautiful? God is looking and wants to raise up faithful priests that will stand firm. That will do all that's in God's heart and in his mind. God will build him a sure house that will stand in the storms of life. And he is choosing God and walking with God will affect future generations. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Just saying again the stuff that we that we looked at. I think I want to stop with this one. We got more to go, but we're stopping here on number six. That was number five, if you're counting. What I mean, big number five. God was very gracious to me. As I said, in reading biographies, you end up with favorites. And probably two of my favorite people, one would be Hudson Taylor, and the other would be the Gulf Force of China. I share this a lot. The Gulf Force of China are absolutely my absolute favorite people. Of all of the thousand plus biographies we have, that's number one, Gulf Force of China. But one day at the Bible college where I was teaching, the girl came and said, Chaplain Logan, guess what? I said, what? She said, Hudson Taylor's grandson's coming by to see me. He used to date my grandmother. <laughs> I said, bring him by. I got to meet the guy. You got to bring him by. I got to meet him, you know. His grandpa was is, is one of my high up there. And I met the man. What a real joy. Well, when I was pastoring in Tacoma, Washington, someone said to me, do you know that Mary, Gar Mary Goldforth lives right by Tacoma? where I was pastoring. I said, you're kidding. That was the first daughter of the Gulf Force that lived. A number of their children died of different diseases in China. But she's the one that lived. And I thought, I wonder if she would come to our church and share. What a blessing it would be to have her. And so I called in the phone. I said, Mary, you don't know me. And she and her husband were missionaries, retired missionaries from South America. They had spent their whole life down there. I said, your mom and dad are my absolute Top favorite people. I'm wanting to, when I get to heaven, some of the very first people I want to meet is your mom and dad. They just, just look at their picture and see how godly they are. And I said, Mary, um, would, would it be possible, um, for you to maybe come to our church? Cause I'm trying to get our people to read biographies and just share experiences of growing up in the home of Jonathan and Rosalind Goldford. And she said, I would love to. And she said, in fact, Mr. Logan, I have slides of my father's works that are over 100 years old. See, Jonathan Goldforth brought the last revival to China before the communists took over. And many of the people in Taiwan that are Christians were saved through his ministry. We saw slides where over a 1,000 soldiers came forward to receive Christ. And Jonathan Goldforth was nearly blind at that time. His wife would lead him to the pulpit, and he would baptize these 1,000 soldiers. It was easy. It was Presbyterian, you know. <laughs> But what a godly, godly man. And he was just about one, you know, one town ahead of the communists. He'd lead people to Christ. The communists came in and finally they ran him out. And, and, but Jonathan Goldforth, what a godly man. So I asked Mary if she would come. So she came to the church. And before she got up, I wanted to share uh, one thing of the story that just grabbed my attention in the beginning. Now, if you've heard this before, just bear with those that haven't. When they went to China, they went in the 1800s on a clipper ship, blown there, you know, with the sails, that kind of thing. And um, 
the everything that they um, had to take to the mission field, they had to take with them. You couldn't buy it there. I mean, I got up in the church and I said, the thing that just got me about this book, you just don't get very far in this book. They were a young married couple that went off to China, Jonathan, Rosalind, go forth, and they don't even know the language. They're out passing out tracts or something. They hear the fire gong and they come to their house, and their house is burning down. And everything they brought to China, just in their 20s, is burning up. There's no way to replace it, no way to get it. And Rosalind Goforth begins to wring her hands, and Jonathan says, now, now, Rose, it's the only thing. I thought, you know, i got a book here. If my house would burn down, would I say, oh, Marguerite. <laughs> so stop! <laughs> just things. So she gets up, Mary Goforth gets up, and she said, do you realize that my mother lost everything? But the clothes on her back five times in her lifetime. See, we'd really like to be like these godly giants, wouldn't we? But we don't want to pay the price. They all suffered. They all went through deep times, dark times, and so on. And so when Mary got up, I said, Mary, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to ask you a question. I said, you grew up in your dad's home. I said, your dad is such a giant, in my mind, Presbyterian, Canadian Presbyterian. And all he went through and the suffering he went through, even from the Presbyterian board, I said, Mary, what was the key to your dad being such an effective Christian and such a godly man? I said, Mr. Logan, I think that's pretty easy. Or Pastor Logan, I think it's pretty easy to answer. So I don't ever remember getting up in the morning that my dad was not in Scripture. I remember, you know, he had to be by a window or something. And she drove a knife through my heart. Because I'm always counseled. Whatever I've done in Christian ministry, I've always ended up counseling late at night. And I know my kids would say, you know, when I get up in the morning, Dad's in bed. Because I was. Because I was up late at night. And I thought, my kids don't even know I love the Word of God. They don't know I have a prayer life. As lousy it was, I did have one. They didn't know I had any of that. Why? Because they went off to school, and I got up and did my thing. And I purposed in my heart that if I wanted my kids to have a love for the Word and a love for prayer, they're going to have to see Dad do it. And I, Dad, you, you got to develop a prayer life. you got to develop a time in the Word that your son and your daughters will see what? It's important to you. And your wife will see it. They'll thrill your wife to see that you're and I know that you guys are busy. Some of you have screwy schedules, you know, horrible kinds of stuff. I, I, I was counseling airline pilots. One pilot would tell another pilot, we're having a run on pilots. started with Luftwaffe or something. What's it? Lutunza. The first guy flew in from Germany. And then we had guys from, from Canada. And then we had guys from about every airline flying in here. I thought, I can't believe these pilots. And one guy's saying, you know, I was a mess. In fact, uh, one guy was going to, well, you know the, what's his name? Yeah, Miller. Miller is supposed to be here, and he chickened out. Wait till I see him. Calls himself my friend. We had a terrible snowstorm, so I didn't make it to work. I got to work next day, and there was a note. And it said, Logan, this is uh, Miller. I'm one up on you. Ah, one up on you? What in the world is he talking about? So I called his house, and he lives here in Dallas, and he flies. He's a pilot for uh, American Airlines. And he usually flies to South America or England and that all the time, um, Don Miller. And 
I said, Don, what's this one up? And he said, I was flying over Sioux City, and I called you from the cockpit. <laughs> one over me. So, um, yeah. But Don is flying in a cockpit, turned to a guy, and began to share. And this guy said, I'm in trouble. I'm in bondage. I'm in trouble. I hear voices. Don said, come see Jim Logan. So that was another guy. It was his co-pilot. Just one time, he only had this guy as a co-pilot. There was hundreds and hundreds of, or maybe thousands of pilots, Americans. Many opportunities out there for us to touch and to share. But the most important to touch and share with is your own kids. If they see that you really love the Lord, and what you make time for, they know is important. And you have to build it around your schedule, whether you a screwy airline pilot that you know is down two days in Rio de Janeiro or something, but you are home sometimes, and you need to do that. Father, I just thank you for this evening and being with the guys. Father, I, I pray that as we go back and think about, number one, um, tonight or tomorrow, just that verse one of Psalm 91, the abiding, the shadow, and so on. And Father, this passage right here, being a faithful priest over my home, the wonderful promises that you give if we will take that position. And so, Father, we are committing ourselves to your word. We know your word is true, and the entrance of your word gives light. And so, Father, we pray that that light uh, that it gives would continue to reveal any darkness in our lives that would hinder us from being the faithful priest to our family that you want us to be. We ask this, that Christ to be glorified. Amen.